Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode. And if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important. Sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O style and use promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host this is episode 144 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen no one is immune to the challenges and difficulties in their life and we all have a choice on how we face that roller coaster ride of life And Ben Newman learned from his mom at an early age the importance of how you choose to live your life and face adversity. After attending Michigan State University, Ben would embark on a career as a financial advisor, and it was those lessons that he learned from his mom that would eventually lead him to become a highly regarded performance coach, international speaker, and best-selling author with a list of clients that include Fortune 500 companies, sales organizations, collegiate athletes, and even professional athletes in the NFL, PGA, NBA, Major League Baseball, and the UFC. You can also find him as the host of The Burn Podcast, exploring what is that burn inside some of the most successful people and athletes today. And he also leads the Financial Advisor Academy, serving as a financial advisor sales coach. Our conversation with Ben Newman. Ben, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast here with me. I know it's been a while since we first met in January 2020 here in Greenville, South Carolina, and obviously the world has changed. And from your perspective, you're not a road warrior right now. So what is that like, not being typically at an NFL training camp or a college campus, you know, with the various schools that you've worked with? What's your life like right now? Well, I'll share this with you, Richmond. First off, thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, I I think it's awesome what you do to just tell so many different stories. And, you know, it's definitely been a different year. Um, Right now, there actually is one of the teams that I work with, Kansas State, uh, just so dependent upon what uh, you think the listeners may want to hear. I did actually uh, attend training camp for four days. Uh, However, my work with Alabama has all been remote. Uh, as well as the NFL players and NFL teams that I work with. So it's, it's a totally different dynamic. But at the end of the day, it's about what is best for the players and keeping the players safe and making sure that they are focused during this period of uncertainty in our lives. That, that's what's most important for me. You know, if I'm dealing with guys in terms of the mental, last thing we need to worry about is whether I'm there in person or not. It's making sure that they have what they need and they stay connected to what drives them on a daily basis. And isn't there an aspect of what everybody's going through? I think this is going to be an opportunity 
as negative as it can be, there can be some positives in terms of this is really going to showcase leaders, leadership, because you have to evolve. You have to adapt like you're doing, doing remote. I mean, we're connecting remote uh, this way. I mean, this, this is really going to, I think, have an opportunity for some cream to rise to the top, so to speak. And you actually have the opportunity to invest and get better during this time. So, the, you know, I, I've had the fortunate blessing of working with Coach Kleiman, who's the head coach at uh, Kansas State. This will be my sixth season with Coach Kleiman. We won a handful of national championships at North Dakota State, and he brought me with him to Kansas State, as well as Coach Saban. Uh, this is my third season with the Crimson Tide. And so you talk about two amazing minds that have won multiple championships at the Division I collegiate level. And there's two lessons that I've learned uh, that I want to share from both of them that I think apply to everybody listening in the business world as well as sports. Uh, the first one that, that really applies to your question, Coach Kleiman always says, find your edge in the details. And right now, this is one of those periods of time where, yes, your business environment has maybe changed, your sports climate has changed, but you still have an opportunity to find an edge in the details attack the things that are within your control and find a way to create distance from the competition who might choose to be mentally weak and not do the little things that you choose to do. And Coach Saban always tells us if you were to come to a, uh, Alabama practice, although I, I can look at your bookshelf here, Rich, it doesn't sound like you'd be interested in that with all your Clemson gear. So you're lucky I'm on here. But uh, That's right. You know, I'm you very I fortunate. That, yes. <laughs> You, you and I, I, I tease you and I got along so uh, so great. That's such a, a great healthy competition uh, between those two schools. Both amazing coaches, but you know, Coach Saban always says the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And once again, in business or in sports, that's a life lesson. How you manage this adversity right now is going to determine the story that you write. And many people fall to the fears, the doubts, and the uncertainties to dictate their action. And others rise up and they find a way to make it happen. Agreed. And I know I want to dive into some of the adversity that you faced in your life and how that's impacted you, but also want to dive into the sports side. And how did you gravitate towards sports and what was life like growing up with sports as a backdrop for you? Well, I always loved competition. I always loved being part of a team. Uh, you know, just the opportunity to get coached, uh, you know, even though I am a coach, you know, I consider myself to be one of those individuals that, that's very coachable. You know, I still have two coaches to this day. I'm on my 26th book of the year. So we're always learning. And back then I wanted to be pushed. I wanted to be motivated. And, you know, I, I was blessed to have lots of great coaches and individuals that were in my corner. Uh, my two high school basketball coaches are still two dear friends of mine and mentors in my life that that I've written about. They're actually a character in, in two books that I've written. So I think coaching and competition and the camaraderie of what happens in a locker room, there, there's nothing like it. And to still be able to have a hand in the sports world with my work today, uh, it, it really lights up my opportunity to give uh, to give my all every day. Did you have a gravitational pull just to basketball? Because I know you're a basketball player. So was that your main sport playing-wise? Yeah, so basketball was the sport that I, I loved the most. It was the one that uh, that stuck with me uh, the longest. Uh, but you know, I was one of those guys. I had the big heart. I was willing to hit the weight room after practice and 
So I was able to become a, a leader on the team, but we had three guys that were D1 and uh, the slow guy who couldn't play defense and couldn't jump very well. Uh, I, I was used for a three-point shot every now and again, but uh, it was more of my fire uh, that got everybody else focused to, uh, to, to do the job. Uh, I took a few D3 recruiting trips to Tufts University in Boston and Lake Forest College in Chicago, but smaller schools and I decided to uh, to hang up the hoop shoes and go to Michigan State and watch them win a uh, national championship under Izzo. Well, you obviously made a very nice choice with Michigan State and Tom Izzo. Is talking about another fantastic coach from that perspective. But so we're, we're very similar then because I was the same way. I had no lateral quickness. I couldn't guard anybody, but I could shoot a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I could definitely do that at times. I, re- I remember one of my favorite stories. So Coach Basler, that was our head coach. So he and Coach Johnson, those are the characters in the book. So when you write fables, you can make up who the characters are. So Coach Todd Edwards, for those of you that have read Leave Your Legacy and Own Your Success, that's Todd Basler and Edward Johnson. And I remember one of the games my senior year, and we were playing Wellston, and it was a conference game, and I started the game, and I'm telling you, it was like, Rich, it was like 60 seconds into the game, and I was far too slow to be guarding anybody (laughs) on the court that night. And Coach Basler pulls me off, and he goes, uh, he always called me Benny Boy. He said, uh, Benny boy, he said, uh, you're done for the night. (laughs) I said, coach, I got it. And, you know, we ended up winning the game and we ended up having an undefeated conference season and won the conference championship. So I was fine to sit on the bench if it meant the team was going to win. That's right. Hey, you did your part, right? You you knew your role, just being the cheerleader on the bench that night and helped your team to victory. (laughs) Now, growing up in the St. Louis area, though, I mean, that's a sports town. So what were your teams? I mean, were, did you have particular sports teams that you followed and players that you wanted to, you know, emulate or heroes from a sports perspective? You know, nobody's actually uh, asked me this in an interview before, so it's going to be a surprising answer for everybody. Uh, but I actually grew up a uh, Chicago Cubs fan until um, I want to say once I got to high school, I switched back to Cardinals. But, you know, in St. Louis, you had WGN. So I would come home, and I absolutely loved Andre Dawson. Andre Dawson, the Hawk, now a Hall of Famer. And I would come home, and WGN had every Cubs game. And I don't know if it was just uh, fighting my dad because he liked the Cardinals and it was a way to resist. But (laughs) I'd come home, and I'd watch those Cub games, and it was Ryan Sandberg and Sean Dunstan and Mark Grace and and, uh, Rick Sutcliffe. And I'll tell you, it, it was a blast. But I was a Cubs fan. And then made uh, the shift back over to the Cardinals, and so that was that was really the team that uh, that I cheered for. And then I remember being in the stands when the old uh, St. Louis Cardinals were here, the football team, now the Arizona Cardinals. And then we had a large gap where we didn't have football, and then we were lucky enough to get the St. Louis Rams back and to win a Super Bowl, which was which was really special. And of course, the Blues have had great success recently as well. And St. Louis really is a great sports town, and you see that what's really unique is so many dear friends of mine that I had the opportunity to work with at the professional level here who actually stay in St. Louis and make St. Louis their home after they play. Now, I know the Cardinals-Cubs rivalry is not necessarily the same as the White Sox and Cubs, but can you switch 
from <laughs> Cubs to Cardinals fans? I mean, because I don't, you probably didn't get a whole lot of love trying to come back to the Cardinals. <laughs> it would, hey, it, it, would, it would be the equivalent of somebody switching from Clemson to Alabama right now. <laughs> exactly. <in> the 2020s. <laughs> That's not an easy transition. There's adversity right there, Ben. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> no doubt about it. And so, Obviously, we see sports. There's a lot of situations where people are facing adversity, and we know that that can shape people and what it can do from a character perspective and how it builds them. But share how you were shaped early on in your life with your mom. Yeah, I, pre- I appreciate you asking that because, you know, so many people, they they see what somebody's work is today or they see what's currently going on in somebody's life and they think that's what defines them. And I'm more of a believer that it's our entire lives. It's the scope of what we go through and how we act to it that truly defines us. And the greatest champion of life that I've ever known was my mother. And my mom battled a rare muscle disease called amyloidosis. Uh, My parents were divorced at six months old, so I never knew my parents together. And amyloidosis is a rare muscle disease. Still in 2020, there's no cure for the disease. Uh, My mother went to Boston Uh, We live in St. Louis. I still live in St. Louis today, of course. And and so my mom travels to Boston, meets with a woman by the name of Dr. Martha Skinner. And my mom was this teacher, this lover of life. I mean, if you could picture my mom, she had this amazing energy, this long brown hair, these big brown eyes, this big pearly white smile, and energy that went for days. And my mother meets with Dr. Skinner, and Dr. Skinner tells her the first time they ever meet, You're only the second woman under 40 years old we've ever seen or heard of having this disease. And they gave my mother two to four years to live. And in that moment, my mother decided to respond positively. She ended up taking out an old blue mead notebook, maybe like you used to have in school. Maybe yours was another color, probably that Clemson orange. (laughs) And my mom took out a pen and she allowed that journal to become a place where she unleashed her positive mental attitude onto the world. My mother would write, beat the statistics, beat the odds, live with a disease that is chronic and fatal, believe in yourself, combat anything, purpose in life. And my mother taught me what it means to fight every single day. My mother taught me what it means to show up on the days that you just don't feel like it. You know, when we had 24-hour nursing care in our home, my mother's last year living, she would come to the dinner table with an IV stand, sometimes with one nurse, sometimes with two nurses, to ask me how my day was at school. And so even though my mother passed 11 days before my eighth birthday on November 2nd, 1986, my mother has left a legacy behind of what it truly means to give your all every single day, to embrace every single day, to win every single day. And she's equipped me with the tools to know what it means to win and to know what it means to fight on those days that you just don't feel like it. And my mom is the greatest champion of life I've ever known. She's the burn that lies inside of me to give my best every day to do the very best I can to empower and inspire uh, the individuals that we do coaching work with to stay connected to their burn and their drive and the stories that they've been impacted by. Because I know that I'm not the only one that has a story. Everybody listening, each and every single one of us, we have a story that provides perspective that we can keep fighting on the days that we don't want to do it. When did you really recognize that gift that she gave you? Because at eight years old, maybe you don't realize that initially going through the grieving process. So when did it really hit you in terms of that gift of finding purpose in your life and that burn? So I I was a uh, junior at Michigan State University and I come back home. My my grandparents, my mom's parents, 
uh, took over my dad's portion of the divorce decree. So when my mother passes away, my dad moves back into the house. And previously, I'd been with my dad on Tuesdays and every other weekend. So my mom's parents took over that portion of what was the divorce decree. So I was very, very close with my grandparents. So I'm a junior in college. I come back, and my grandma in her apartment had a box. It was a two-men-in-a-truck box, and she passes this box over to me. And I take off the lid of the box, and there were letters from my grandparents to my mother's doctor, from my mother's doctor, Dr. Martha Skinner, back to my grandparents. There were medical records. And inside this box was my mother's journal and the journal that I had, had alluded to earlier. I ended up reading the first page of the journal, and I, cr I cried like a baby. I was so emotional. I could not read it. I could not take it. The timing was not right for me. And so I, I took that box with me, the gift my grandmother gave me, which would give me in the future the opportunity to be closer to my mother than I ever imagined. I wrapped it in two rolls of duct tape, right? Emotionally, I wasn't ready to go there. You know, many of you probably know what I'm talking about. Something is you receive something, but the timing isn't right. Timing wasn't right for me. So I wrapped it in two rolls of duct tape. It went with me back to Michigan State. Then it went with me to Chicago when I lived there for a few years. Then it came back to St. Louis. I didn't open that box again until my wife, Amy, was pregnant with our son, Isaac, and we were moving from a townhouse that we lived in to the house that we live in now. And we were in the garage, and my wife looks up and points at this box wrapped in two rolls of duct tape and says, honey, what is in that box? And I opened up that box. I ripped it open. I went right to the top of that journal. I read the first page, cried like a baby. Uh, she came in and asked me what was going on. I couldn't speak. I handed her the journal. She read it. And Amy came back and said, you are just like your mother. You are exactly like your mother. And that was the first time that I sat down and read uh, the journal cover to cover. Now, what's extraordinary about this, I was already speaking. I was already greatly impacted by my mother. But I really didn't know what my mother was thinking about in those moments when she was dying and she was fighting to raise her two boys. And it got me closer to my mother than I ever could have imagined and helped me realize the life lessons that she was teaching me as she battled amyloidosis. Do you think you would have opened that if your wife wasn't pregnant? Was that like the moment like, ah, this is, I'm about to have a child and then the timing was right for you then? You know, I, I think it was the, the move, you know, it, it, many questions I, I get asked. Um, it's very rare that I don't know the answer. I don't, I don't know if I know the answer to that question. I'm one of those individuals, everything happens in God's timing at, at the right time. And so I don't know if it was the birth or what it was, but, you know, she was really the catalyst to say what was in that box, right? Because if it was up to me, I maybe would have just put the box on a truck and taken it to the house, but it was... You know, her curiosity, uh, maybe that seed was planted from God in her to say what's in that box, which then spurred, of course, uh, you know, me reading it and understanding my mother even better than I ever could have. How about the situation with your dad, not knowing your parents together, not having that uh, uniform family from that perspective? How did that affect you of being, I guess, for a period of your time, part time with your dad? Well, you know, I think, uh, as I, I mentioned, everybody has a story. We all have challenge. We all have adversity. And, and, you know, how we respond, that truly determines the story that we write. And I've had incredible positive experiences with my father and so many lessons learned. But, you know, there were also many um, challenges and adversity that I faced with my father that have helped define who I am as a man today. But, 
wasn't always easy. Uh, there was lots of challenge, but I've now recognized that a lot of that challenge came with the ability to um, build strength from it. But a lot of it uh, was also very hard, uh, very tough for you know an eight-year-old boy. You know, your mom dies 11 days before your eighth birthday. Dad comes back into the house. It, it was a uh, a significant challenge, and so our relationship today, you know, all the the doubts and uncertainties and things I've had, I've let them go. The the painful experiences that I held on to, I've let them go. And I would encourage everybody, you know, if you've held on to things for far too long, let it go when the timing is right for you. And it's amazing the freedom that that brings into your life. Uh, I believe we all have things that hold us back. Yes, that happened to me as well. I never knew my biological father and uh, always had this feeling of a void of abandonment, uh, a void of love, I should say, you know, being abandoned. And it took me a long time into probably 15 years ago or so that I finally got to a point where I could forgive and move on. And it was a huge mountain lifted off of me that I didn't even really know that I was carrying, to be honest with you, Ben, in terms mm. of just that void, you know, from from that perspective. So I, I, I can understand how because I've lived through it, how important that is. So I know what you're talking about when you were able to, um, if, if there's a reconciliation uh, aspect of it, but being able to to move forward from that perspective. So you talked about that you were already doing some coaching and maybe some speaking and stuff when you found that journal. So how did all that happen? Because it just doesn't happen overnight. People can look at you now like, oh, Ben Newman, look, he's you know speaking at all these different places and they want to be a motivational speaker or a performance coach, but it doesn't just happen overnight. <laughs> so I know you had to go through a long process. What was the beginning, though? Yeah, everybody thinks that uh, that things happen overnight, right? <laughs> a guy becomes a pro bowler, wins a Super Bowl because of uh, what he did overnight. And, you know, similar for, for my career, first time I was ever hired to speak was 2006, Right. So this is 14 years of showing up, doing the work every single day. The first time I had a coaching client was 2008. And all of my work actually started in the corporate world. I was a financial advisor. And so I got off to a very fast start. I don't say this to impress anybody. It's to impress upon the point. But I'd set some records in St. Louis as a financial advisor because of my passion for planning. $100,000 of term insurance put me through college. So I had this tremendous passion to help families write the stories of a little guy just like me who one day grows up and if you don't have mom there, the planning has to be in place. And then I started speaking from invitations and started coaching and next thing you do in 2011, my high school basketball coach, Todd Bazer, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he calls me. I had never done any work in the world of sports. Everybody just assumes that you know Nick Saban called me one day and that's where I started with my, uh, my work in sports. And my high school basketball coach calls me and he says, Benny boy, he said, these kids are underperforming. They got a lot of talent. We are playing the number 10 team in the city. And will you come and fire them up? And uh, I said, yeah, coach, I'll do anything for you. And so I show up there playing Parkway Central High School, which was a rival. And I head into the locker room and I give them this pregame speech. And sure enough, these kids knocked off Parkway Central. And I fell in love with the opportunity to inspire these kids and uh, they embraced me and the opportunity to work with them as a team. And that's where my work in sports started. And uh, for the last nine years now, I still go back to my high school and give back to these kids because that's where all the work in sports started for me. And it's fun to give back to those kids. It's fun to help 
them shape how they show up and how hard they work and, you know, the fight that they're willing to take on. And so that's where my, my work started in sports. And so I had business and sports. And then now it's just been having a great team. It's a commitment every day to the process. It's a commitment to working as hard as we possibly can to connect to the head and the hearts of the individuals that we're blessed to work with. And, you know, we don't get seduced by success, similar to, you know, the highest performers in sports and in business. You know, the commonality is the highest performers, they're never seduced by success. It's always an opportunity to figure out how can I continue to get better? How can I continue to win just one day at a time? So some of the same conversations we have with our athletes and business professional clients, it's the same conversation I have to have with myself and connecting to my burn and still having those business coaches in my life because I feel like we're never a finished product. We can always improve and always find our next level. And one of the things that I really like about the messages that you have, they're always different, but they bring back, you know, to the building the foundation for success and how, you know, you can improve each day. But how do you come up with a different message uh, and understand what message is going to be appropriate for the group that you're speaking to rather than just trying to be cookie cutter? Well, I think being number one, having an awareness that being cookie cutter can get you in a lot of trouble. And so it's always been very important for us and our team that we distinguish ourselves with some unique factors in terms of how we show up for the business. One of the things, if a, if a sports team or a corporation hires me to speak, we always schedule a planning call. It's part of the contract. I want to know, why are you bringing me in for your event? Why are you bringing me in for training camp? I want to understand the nuances of what you're focusing on. I want to have awareness around the action steps that allow you to be successful so that I can speak to them directly with a voice that allows us to create a victory together. And if I don't understand those commonalities, then I walk in, you know, being the guy who gives the same speech to everybody. And I don't want to be that guy because I really don't consider myself a motivational or inspirational speaker. I consider myself to be a coach. So having that opportunity, our team takes it very serious. And I want to have an impact, but not on a short-term level. I want to have an impact long-term, long-term growth, long-term sustainability. Can I share tools that apply to how you think, how you show up that's directly in alignment with the standards of your organization? So it's not a short-term rah-rah speech, but it's an opportunity to continue to grow from our time together. One of the things that I find is interesting is that people are leaning to coaches more now, not just in the sports world. And I want to get your thoughts. Why, why do you think it took so long for people to understand how important coaching can be in all aspects of your life, not just out, you know, on the on the field or the court or just even, you know, doing training from a company perspective, but just in your life, how important coaching can be? Well, you know, I think so much of it has to come from the leader. You know, every corporation is different. Of course, there's some corporations that still haven't adopted, you know, the coaching methodologies. But I think what people are starting to find is, you know, you go your whole lives. If, if you play youth sports, even if you weren't a good athlete, right, whether it was youth soccer or whether it was youth baseball or youth basketball, did you ever show up and there was no coach? No, there was always a coach. And if you played high school sports, there was a coach. And even if you were in the band, right, there was a band teacher who was essentially coaching you on how to play an instrument. So we've always had coaching. We've always had teachers. And I think it's those individuals, those leaders who fight to find their edge. They have a willingness to be coachable. You know, you're asking your players to be coachable. Why wouldn't you want to be coachable yourself? Same for me. 
I'm, I'm blessed to be welcomed into so many different organizations to fight as hard as I can to make an impact. But as I've mentioned a couple times in this interview, I still have two coaches, right? So I do not have this all figured out. I have to remain coachable as well. And I think when you check your ego and it's a constant willingness and fight and relentless mindset to be the best that you can be, you realize that when you don't try to do it alone, there's so many things you can learn that actually enhance your performance. And you talk a lot about adversity and how that can build people. And we all, like you said, have our own story and have different adversities that we faced or different challenges, or you're going to face adversity in life. But as you're a parent, I'm a parent. And one of the things that I know you probably focus on as well is that to a certain degree, you want to give your kids a better life than maybe you had or give them the best that they can have. But how do you balance then, because this is where I struggle at times, the balance between giving them a better life, better situation, but also making sure that they're not being completely shielded from adversity in life because of what it can do to help build you and strengthen you. How do you balance that? Well, you know, Rich, that's a that's a really tough one because the adversity that I had to face and that I had to endure as a young man, I would never wish it upon your children and I would certainly never wish it upon my children. And so it's, it is this balance of how do you teach adversity when they really haven't had to face it? And so a lot of times it's, you know, my children understanding my pain, my children understanding my story so that they have perspective of it. I don't want them to go through it. I don't want to be sick. I don't want my wife to be sick. And so I don't want them to go through those things, but I want them to understand that life is not always sunshine and rainbows and we don't ride around on unicorns. You know, it, life, life is tough and life is going to throw it at you. And so you, you try to push them athletically if they like sports. I've actually stepped outside of coaching my kids, you know, so we'll have, you know, the sport that they love, ask the coach to come private hire and work out extra sessions. And so push them in the things that they love rather than pushing things onto them. And that's one of the things that we've found is giving them an environment to succeed, but also putting them in position to be challenged by coaches that are going to push them to get uncomfortable. What areas for you are you still challenging yourself in? Well, I'm always pushing to get to that next level. I'm currently, uh, as we sit and do this interview, I'm on day 57 of a program called 75 Hard. So once again, I am, I am, I am not trying to impress anybody. I'm trying to impress upon the point. Um, but I believe that I have to live a life of balance. I have to be an example for those athletes at Alabama, at Kansas State, the NFL players, the fighters, the individuals we work with, uh, the corporations, the the business athletes that we work with. I have to be an example. I have to push and challenge myself. So 75 Hard is a program that my friend Andy Frisella started, and it's 75 days of challenging yourself. Um, No alcohol, no sweets, no cheat meals, reading every day two 45-minute workouts, one outside, one inside. They have to be three hours of separation between the two workouts. It's all of these different things that you have to track to show how disciplined that you can become. And I do that on top of uh, what I call the unrequired workout. It's a 45-minute workout that I do. Today's the 431st straight day that I've done it. There's a lot of things that I do to really push myself and challenge myself to realize that we all have great capacity, 
but we have to keep challenging that capacity. And then in terms of the work environment, it's making sure that my coaches are challenging me and pushing me, that I am holding with a high level of accountability the individuals that have instilled trust in me, that I'm pushing them to be the best that they can be. And if I professionally am pushing others to be their best and I'm pushing myself to be my best, I can really have the, the greatest victory, which for me or for anybody that we work with is the opportunity to look in the mirror at the end of the day and say, today I gave it my very best. And if we can look in the mirror at the end of the day and say, I gave it everything I had today, I won today, you can never ask any more of yourself than that. And nobody can ask any more of you than your very best. But only you know the truth of what your very best is. And let me just add this one final thought on here. I hear many people say, I want legacy. I want to be great. I'm going to do this. I want to be an All-American. I want to take my company to $100 million of revenue. But what you say is just words. If I really want to find out how bad somebody wants it, I have a conversation with their action. And so everybody listening, this is the coach in me coming out. Ask yourself, how have you been showing up? Have you been staying connected to your burn and what drives you? Have you been doing the necessary daily disciplines to create wins in your life? Because it's your action that writes the story. The words is only what paints the vision. It's so appropriate that I'm sitting on a couch right here, Ben, because I feel like you're calling me out. I'm on the couch. I have not been living up to some of those things that you're talking about. <laughs> so thank you. I, I, I need that. And it's true. You need to hear some of those uh, words to then transfer those to actions. Uh, and I, I think that's very important. Now, just from a sports perspective, then how has sports then also shaped you and built you and even today how it's building you? You know, you, you learn so many life lessons when it comes to coaching and sports. And I, I'll share with you, uh, he's an unsung hero on the Alabama campus. So uh, you bring me on your show, you, you're going to have to hear some of these Alabama <laughs> stories. There's no fighting it, Rich. So my, my first visit three years ago to Alabama, I meet a coach by the name of Terry Jones. And I think this is one of those stories that lends a life lesson for all of us, but it comes from the world of sports and we can learn so much from sports. And uh, Terry Jones is the last coach left in the building at Alabama that played for Bear Bryant. He then went on to play eight seasons for the Green Bay Packers and now he's come back, and for over 30 years, he's been a strength coach at the University of Alabama. So you talk about a resume for sports, a resume of life, a man who's been around some of the greatest to ever do it in the world of football. And I look at Coach Jones the first time I ever meet him, and we're having a conversation. I said, Coach TJ, like, what has made you great all these years? Like, What is the difference? What's your philosophy? And he said, he goes, I always start here. He has, I have to understand a player's heart. He said, far too many coaches try to push people to give their best and to fight and to work harder. He goes, I got to get the heart first. Once I get the heart, I go for the head. How do they think? How do they show up? What do they believe? Once I connect that heart to that head, he said, they're going to give me the body. <laughs> and what he was saying was, once you have those two pieces, they're going to want to do the work. You've shown them you've loved them. You've taught them how to think, giving themselves permission to be great. And they're going to want to attack the work. 
And so many coaches and leaders, you see them fall short because they get that philosophy backwards. Terry Jones was sharing a business and sports lesson, a life lesson. That's one even for our kids. Start with the heart, go to the mind. They're going to have a willingness to do the work. Well said. And as we're wrapping up here, Ben, words of wisdom has always been a big part of my life. Just phrases, mottos, quotes, and life advice. And obviously, I know you have a lot and you've shared a lot, but has there been anything particular for you that personally that you've leaned on over the years from, you know, words of wisdom? Yeah, I would share with you the greatest life lesson I ever learned. It came from my mom. And that lesson is it's not how long you live. It's how you choose to live your life. Every day, show up and be your best. Not for anybody else, but for you and for what you're fighting for in your life. Go write your story. Give your best. But as my mother said, it always comes down to those little decisions and choices. That makes all the difference. She's still giving you gifts each and every day. It's fantastic. What a great story. Ben, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was uh, this was fantastic. We'll have to do it in person uh, the next time I'm in uh, Greenville. But Richmond, thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you and all your listeners. While tragedy has an impact on all of us, sometimes there are gifts given to us through these tragedies as Ben was given such a great gift from his mom that he got to see each and every day through her fight, even though he might not have even realized it at the time. But now it's evident that he continues to live out her legacy by the way he chooses to live his life. Now that finishes episode 144, and you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.